we're going to get into, uh, like I said, the last part of our message series here today. And what we've been doing, if this just happens to be your first week, is we've been doing this series called Mythbusters, Church Myths Debunked. And we've basically taken the most common myths that people have about church, false perceptions, misconceptions, views that inevitably interfere and and get in the way of people's uh, ability to have a personal relationship with God and to be engaged in a church and a part of a church family. These are things that can cloud people's minds. Uh, They can cause confusion. They can cause division. And they can put people at enmity with the church or with God. And so what we're doing is we're wanting to just go through and, and, and kind of debunk a lot of these myths with truth and with the Word of God. Because here's the whole point is we feel and we believe that the world today, especially in our country, needs desperately an authentic representation of what the church is, right? Okay. Life kids, uh, 6 to 12, you guys can go downstairs now. I was supposed to make that announcement. You guys can go on downstairs. They're going to be practicing and getting ready for the Christmas Eve stuff. Yes. And they'll be up here for worship and baptisms next week. And go down after that. Okay, awesome. So it's already, they're already working on Christmas Eve stuff. Isn't that crazy? I mean, you know Thanksgiving is like, what, a month away? <sighs> Amazing. Anyway, so we're, we're looking at this series and, and saying the point of it isn't necessarily to just go through a bunch of myths and, you know, talk about them. And, and of course, that's, we're having fun with it. But I think the real point is that we, as the church, are getting a revelation of what the truth is, and also having an understanding of what people in the world might be thinking or what they might have heard. This is the the, the context of where we're at today in our nation. And if we can be the authentic church, the the church that Jesus died and established to, to give power to, to spread the word and to change the world, then we know we can ultimately come in contact with people who have misconceptions and begin to break down those barriers and break down those walls that aren't true, that are uh, confusing and perhaps deceiving for them, and begin to build a proper view of who God is and what church is and help people to come into a more meaningful and, and uh uh, thriving relationship with God for themselves. I mean, I mean, that's really what it's all about. So we are on myth number 10, and we're just going to dive right into this one. And this is church is, oh. Church is all about money, or they just want your money, Right? And, uh, the, you know, the thing is, is in all these myths, as we've talked about them, that in a lot of ways, some of them, you can understand how people would have a wrong view because maybe church leaders or people at some point in time have abused or misused certain things. Certainly there have been church leaders in the past that have uh, went to jail for embezzlement and things like that. Those things have occurred. And so there, there can kind of be this permeating mentality that that's just what it's all about or that's it's sort of this blanket thing now that people get, that that's what all churches are about. They're about getting your money. They want your money. You come. They want you to give, right? And if that's the case, 
That's what people think. No wonder there could be a wedge for them between where they're at and really believing that church is a place that they can go and that they can encounter God and that they can grow in their faith in, right? So it's, it's obvious that that would be a big one, a big stumbling block, if that's what people are, uh, are thinking. Now, I'm going to say some things in this one that I just, I'm just going to speak from my heart, and I want to share how I see this and how clearly I feel that the Bible lays this out. As a leader in the church, okay, and whether it's as a pastor or a leader or whatever, that I believe that that the church, the church does not need people's money, does not need money, okay? Here's why I say that, because I have full faith and full confidence that God is always going to provide for and sustain the work of the ministry and of the leaders of the church that he's calling and appointing to build his kingdom. So it's it's just it's kind of a perception. It's a way of looking at it. You know, uh, I've heard stories of people in, in, in situations would come up and say, you know what, I don't like the way this is going. I'm not going to tithe. I'm not going to give. I'm going to be real honest with you. That doesn't affect me. That does not affect me, okay? That is a thing between people and God. It is, I know, now obviously the church needs resources to function, so this is why I'm saying it's kind of a perception thing. But I never doubt, I don't ever get stressed out or worried, like is, is there going to be enough for us to do what God has called us to do? I don't, because I know if God has called a work to happen, if he's appointed it to happen, where God uh, uh, calls, he also equips, he provides the resources. So the things that are needed and necessary are going to continue to flow into the work of the hands and the people that God has called to do that. So so there's there's this sense, it's like the church, God owns, the Bible says he owns a cattle on a thousand hills. He owns everything, like it all comes from him. So God's not going to come up short if people aren't giving enough. You know what I'm saying? So the, the idea of giving, it's, and I'm, that's what I'm trying to build to, it's not about the church or for the church. It's for the people because we as members of the body need to give. We need to move in faith in this way in order for God to to bless our finances and our resources the way he set this up and established this in his word. And I want to read this for you. This is out of the book of Malachi, chapter 3, re re reading from uh, verses 8 through 12. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me, but you say, this is prophecy here, the prophet Malachi, and he's speaking from what God has given him to speak to the people. Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have, you, have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. And he says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If he will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine 
fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts, and all the nations will call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. Now, let me ask you something. When you read that, when you hear that, is that not the place that you want to be in? Is that not the place that you want your household to be in? Is to be under the the covering and the blessing of God in a way where the resources just flow right through your home and the provision and everything that's needed for you to do what God's called you to do is always available, not at a point of lack or scarcity, but at a point of abundance and overflowing. We all want that, right? And so what God is saying is he's setting up a covenant. He's he's established a covenant, and he's saying if you'll bring the first tenth into the storehouse and you'll tithe, then you'll walk in this covenant with me where I will bless your finances and your resources and make everything that you put your hand to do fruitful and and to bear uh, plenty. And so as as we step into that covenant and we give, we're giving not by duty, right? We're giving out of faith. And so when we have faith that we say, you know what? I believe this right here. I believe that if I give the first 10th, not knowing necessarily like having to do numbers to figure out, is it there, but giving it, knowing that this is God's, I believe that I will always have plenty and God will always provide for me and I will never go without. And so when we, when we, when we hold back, and we don't give the way that God is calling us to do. Listen, this is, this is just the way I see it. When we don't, we're kind of restricting the hand of God to bless us in the way that he's laid out here in his word because we're not operating in the faith that he's calling us to to walk in this covenant right here. Are you with me? It's not that God isn't able to do anything. It's that he's established a covenant here. And he's saying, if you'll, if you'll have faith in this word and you'll walk in this, then this is how I will respond. This is how my hand will work in your life. It doesn't mean people will not have things or go without completely if they don't give the tenth. It just means that when we do, that's when we're fully stepping into this covenant and walking in this thing with God the way he's laid out. Now, I'm going to be real straightforward with you because I want to appeal to people where they are. I think that this sometimes is a process for people. When I first started coming to church and Katie had kind of grown up in church and then I got saved and we were coming, I mean, I had a hard time giving 20 bucks. It was like, oh, like, and then I started giving 20 and I was kind of like, oh, and I thought I was doing great because I was giving 20 bucks when I would go, you know, definitely not a 10th, but I started giving money. And then, uh, and then eventually I started getting convicted about this thing. Not because somebody was, you know, hammering on me in the church, but because I just realized, like, this is what God's Word says. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to believe everything else that God's Word says. I have to take it all as truth, right? And so then I started, we started tithing. And then whenever we started tithing, I started to see the increase that God is talking about in his word. I mean, I saw it for myself. And we were we began tithing. This was back in 2002. And we've never not tithed since then. And I can tell you that I have never went without anything. God has provided and sustained us in our lives in every way imaginable, and then some, and we have never went without. I've never missed a bill. I've never missed a payment. I mean, nothing. And, and 
There's been times of uncertainty in our career path of the things that we've chosen. I was on 100% commission for six and a half, seven years, and we never went without. And, and, and so I've seen this thing play out in my own life. But listen, not just me. I'll take it a step further. I've walked with enough people now in ministry and, and walked with them through the times in their life where they've experienced great financial difficulties, lost jobs, bankruptcies, terrible situations that are very tr- trying and challenging. And, and you know what I say? Are you tithing? I'm just being honest. God, I'm just, I, it's one of my first questions. Do you tithe? And, and a lot of people that don't start tithing, this is crazy, right? But they start tithing in some of the most desolate financial situations that they've ever been. Doesn't make sense up here, does it? It does not make sense in your mind. That's the point. But they start giving. If they get $100, they give 10. They get 200, they get 20. I mean, they just start giving the first 10 through difficult times. And then all of a sudden, God sustains them. A job opens up or resources open up or money comes in unexpectedly. I I can go on and on and on with this story. What I'm telling you is I've watched this covenant concept, this truth principle of the word of God work and play out consistently over and over and over again in people's lives for years now. And I can't help but preach it to you this way because I've seen what it does in people's lives. And I used to be, whenever I started pastoring here in Waterloo and I was no longer an associate pastor, but now I'm leading the church. I I had a hard time. Like, it's kind of like, oh, I don't want to like, you know, hit hard on giving. People think that the church is all about money, right? I mean, even I was thinking that. And God spoke to me one time about this a, a couple years back, whatever. And he said something that just hammered me. He said, listen, you are accountable to me for how you teach the people that I'm bringing to you. If you do not teach tithing and giving the way it's laid out in the word, you are denying people what they need in their lives and what you've experienced in yours. And I just, it wrecked me, you know, like from here on out, I can't, I can't preach this thing subtly or loosely. Like this is a serious truth that God lays out in his word and gives us that is, it's time tested. And, and some people will even say, well, that's the Old Testament. You know, that's the old covenant. Jesus died and it's a new covenant. We're not under the law. Totally agree. But let me ask you this. Did Jesus, when he came and set the new law in place, did he lower the conditions or did he elevate the standards of which he called us to? The law said, don't, don't commit adultery. Jesus said, don't lust in your heart. I mean, he just elevated the standards. So I don't make a big deal about this, but when people say, well, I just give what I want to give, what I feel led to, I hope it's over a tenth. (laughs) Because when you look at what it says in the word, you can't deny, you can't make an argument that Jesus would have came and lowered that which we're supposed to be giving, right? So, you know, sometimes that comes up and I understand it, but yes, you give as you feel led, but and God leads you in how you give, but here's how he lays it out. The tithe is the first tenth. That's automatic. That's before government gets a hold of it. That's before your bill collectors get a hold of it. That's the first tenth of what God gives you. And then after that, what God leads you to do is is what we call offerings. You know, that's what's giving and sowing seed. And that's when God says, hey, go give that person 20 bucks. You know, I think that they need it. Or, hey, I really want you to help that person pay this bill or whatever it is. Those are how God and the Holy Spirit's leading us to give and sow seed. And do you know something? The more that we give, it seems like the more God just continues to resupply. He, he, He resupplies and it says that he keeps to the point of overflowing. Not lack, not just barely full to overflowing. 
And so we are, we are just all stewards of these resources that God owns anyway. All right? So it's not about the church needing people's money as much as it is about people in the church needing to understand the principle of giving the way God has laid it out in his word so that we can all be blessed to the point of overflowing and we can be fruitful in the work that we're doing in our lives not just with the things that we're uh, spending time on but also with our resources and with our finances amen church is all about money debunked all right the next one is church should stay out of my personal life. That's a little long, so I'm just going to put church stay out. So, you know, there's a lot of times when when people will, uh, you know, they, they start going to church or they, they like to go and they like to hear a message, okay? They like to hear a message. Or they like to look at the good-looking pastor up there all the time. No, I'm just kidding. No, and uh, some of my jokes suck, guys. I know. I'm sorry. So they go and, and they want it, they go to hear a message, right? But they don't they don't want the the, the people in the body to be in, involved in their lives. It's like they don't want to be open or vulnerable or kind of transparent. They like to be there, but then whenever they leave, they just they want to kind of keep church separate from their lives and what's going on in their lives, and they want it to be a Sunday morning kind of thing. Now, again, things are progressive. I understand that. The walk of faith is a walk, and so we begin to, to grow into things as we move forward. But I just got to say that when it comes to the way God has laid out church and his body, that we are meant to be members here, which applies in, in a sense to a lot of things. It means that when the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17, iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens another. So pieces of iron rubbing against each other, making each piece a little sharper and having a finer edge. You can't accomplish that if the piece of iron is sitting off in a bucket off to the side, never rubbing up against another piece of iron, right? So whenever we become connected to a body of believers and other members in a church, we have to understand that God is he's, hes setting up a divine thing where the members of the body, all of us, are meant to help each other and sharpen one another to, to grow in our faith in the things that God has called us to. And part of that is being open and being, you know, vulnerable and transparent with who we are and where we are. Look, none of us are perfect. And none of, this, none of us have this whole thing all figured out, right? But one of the things that we talk about in our vision is how we as a church and as members of the body, we believe that we're supposed to celebrate life's greatest moments with each other. Be there to celebrate all the awesome things that's happening and what God is doing in each other's lives, but also there to help support and hold each other up through some of life's most difficult things. Now... If we're going through difficult things, how can we be supported and be sharpened and be strengthened and have truth spoken into us if we are just an island kind of off to ourselves, separated in that thing we're going through, 
that from the rest of the body that God has really called us and appointed us to be in, right? But the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, verse 18, God has set members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. So this is interesting that, you know, God, he has a place for us to be in the body. Like he has a specific, if you want to call it church, this, this life church in Waterloo or whatever. He has a place that he wants us to go where we can be strengthened and built up and raised up as well as we can be a contributor to the rest of the body, the members of that body that are in that congregation and in that place. And so when God calls us here, he calls us to be engaged with one another. He calls us to be a family. He calls us to be in fellowship and in community with each other. Not to just, you know, come in on a Sunday and leave and never really be open with our lives and with who we are in front of the rest of the people that we're called to be doing community with. Are you with me? And, and the other thing about the church is, is, and this is a hard thing, but God appoints church leaders apostles and teachers and prophets, evangelists, pastors, and then elders and deacons and leadership in churches. And, and God appoints them so that they may instruct and lead the people effectively. Take a look at this in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 uh, through 15. It says, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Moving down to 15, but speaking the truth in love, we may grow up in all things into him who is head. Christ. So he's saying, look, we're all on this on this growth process, on this walk towards becoming who God has really called us to be. And it's complete when we get to heaven, when we get to go to be with Jesus. Right. But he's saying during that time, we all are in need of being built up, being strengthened, being led, and that there's leadership in the church that is anointed, appointed and anointed to help and, and to steer us in the directions that are helpful for where we're going. And that sometimes involves correction. It sometimes involves saying, look, you know, I think that thing is probably not a good thing that you're doing there or, you know, and so you have to be able to be open with people and leaders in the church in order to receive that kind of direction and that kind of edification. Are you with me? Now, when we say speak the truth in love, here's what I found. Everybody loves that verse, don't they? Oh yeah, speak the truth in love. I got to really do it. But you hate it when you're on the receiving end of that, don't you? I mean, it's like, ah, oh. but, but listen, guys, the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 12, he who hates correction is stupid. I mean, it says stupid. And so I've figured out a while back, even though correction and like basically pointing out changes that need to be made can, can be, it can hurt because change isn't easy and sometimes it's painful. If I want to be all that God is calling me to be, I have to be able to be open in my life to receiving things that'll change and correct things that I might be doing that are possibly off course of where I need to go. Are you with me? And, and it's, it's, if we aren't willing to do that, if we just want to go and hear a message, but we don't want to be connected to the body, be encouraged and strengthened, but also have some of the things that are happening in our life maybe be dealt with, 
then we're kind of holding back a lot of the growth and a lot of the development that God could be doing and wants to do in our lives. And that's what happens when we get connected as a body to each other is that our strengths and our gifts, guys, begin to come to the surface and begin to be used and brought into the light. And we all love that. That's awesome. But you know what else happens? Our imperfections kind of get exposed too. Our, our areas of weakness are things that we need to grow in. It's like they start to come to the surface as well. But if I'll allow that to happen and allow God to use people around me to deal with that and then let the Holy Spirit have the final word in that thing, it's like the community exposes it and brings it out and helps me see things. And then God, the Holy Spirit, can say, yeah, I do. I want to deal with this thing in your life. Okay, God, as David said, examine my heart. All right, have your way with me. Purge anything in me that needs to be purged. And so when we say, God, you know, look, we want the church to stay out of my personal life or whatever, you're going to get so much from hearing the word of God preached, but you're going to miss a lot from never being engaged and connected as a family of community and being vulnerable and open and willing to let who you are be seen. Does that make sense? I'm not saying you go out and spout all your problems off and just do all that. And you got to get to know people and kind of trust people before you confide in them. I mean, I think that's wisdom, right? But what I'm saying is we can't separate ourselves and create this, this wall. This is where we say, you know, we're, we're only going to allow church to get this far in my life. Because then what we do is we keep ourselves sort of at bay from some of the great things that God wants to do and have his way in us and through. Some of the biggest changes in my life, some of the biggest decisions I ever made, God did not just come and speak to me right away and tell me to do this or get rid of this. People that I was walking with in my life helped me see it. And then it hurt. And then I had to figure it out. And I had to deal with it and decide, am I going to be mad at them for pointing it out or what? And then I had to really go and say, God, if this is you and this is right, show me. And then he would convict me. And then we could deal with that thing. And then we could move on and I could be stronger and strengthened as a result of that. Does that make sense? This is hard stuff. Okay, so the church should stay out of my personal life. Debunked, right? I hope you think so. Okay. And then the last one is I am going to keep on moving and go what's it say? until I, I'm, I'm going to find the perfect church. <laughs> I'm going to find, can we, can we end on a fun one? Because you guys are looking at me like real serious, right? I will find the perfect church. Everybody laughs at that. Oh, yeah, yeah, you can't find a perfect church, right? But can I tell you something? Oh. Being a part of a family, it takes commitment, right? You can't run and, and just leave a family anytime something doesn't go your way. If that was the case, Katie and I would have been done after year one, right? Button heads, right? I mean, we stuck this thing out, man. We've stuck it out through all the stuff that she's wrong about that we've had to work through. We have... We have made great progress. God has used me to expose so many things that she needed to deal with that she has, and she's come a long way. Oh. Easy, easy, easy. 
but yeah, you know, there's we in order to be a part of a family, it takes commitment, and uh, it, it it takes working through some of the differences and some of the things that uh, you know maybe we don't always agree with. I mean, I'm just gonna tell you straight up right now, if I am your pastor for the next number of years. I just want to apologize now for doing something somewhere along the way. If you get close to me, you're going to see I am, I'm, I, I'm imperfect, okay? And I, I don't know. I might hurt your feelings by accident one time. I might forget to respond to a message. or I don't know. I mean, there's something that I'm going to do. I'm just apologizing now. If you get close to me and I'm your pastor for a number of years, please forgive me. I'm not perfect. Please don't leave the church when it happens. I'm being serious, you know, because people, it's like, I don't know what it is, but anytime everything's going great, everything's going great. And, you know, we've only been here for, right, like a little over uh, since we went out on our own, like not even probably six, seven months. And we've already had this happen, you know, like something would go on and I have to say, look, you know, this isn't, we can't do this or that. And then people would leave the church. Everything was great. We were the greatest church in the world before that, you know. And and so some of the things we, 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 we do because we feel this is right. I mean, I am never going to get up here or I'm never going to have a conversation with somebody and say something that I don't believe is in line with what God says. But at the same time, I'm a man and we're all people and we are all going to make mistakes. Now, if we can get through those mistakes together, if we can work through a lot of the differences that we as people have and imperfections, we will be stronger as a result of that. But a church that just stays fractured and splintered, that can never resolve or work through those issues and those differences, is a church that will always be marginalized in her strength and ability to impact her community around her. We've, I mean, I feel like sometimes when issues come up, I hate it, but it's like we're better off always afterwards after it happened. It's like we're stronger and we've come together more and we've deepened our, our fortified our relationship with one another. Right? But there's so many people today so many people that are like church hoppers man they're just they're just they go and they love it and then one thing happens pastor says something from the pulpit they don't agree with or somebody in leadership says something and it's like oh this is oh, that's one isn't for me and it's like there's this facade there's this false thinking that they're going to finally get somewhere that everything's going to be perfect and they found the church that now fully agrees with everything that they want them to agree with that they they believe and it's a it's a myth it's never going to happen and i'll tell you this to me personally when you see people that just bounce around and bounce around and bounce around i feel and i'm not talking about new christians new people that are just getting into the faith i'm talking about walk with god for years it's it's i feel like it's one of the greatest signs of spiritual immaturity that you can see when people are just constantly moving on, constantly moving on, constantly moving on. I'm not saying there's never a time to move on. God calls us out of a place and into a new place. It happens. I believe that wholeheartedly. There are times when something immoral or incorrupt is happening in a church body. That's not right. Okay, there are appropriate times where moving on happens. But what I'm saying is if there's a pattern of it in someone's life, if it's consistent over years and years and years, I don't 
believe that that is a sign of spiritual maturity. Because God doesn't want us to just drift along and drift along. He wants us to build roots in a place, man. He wants us to get strong in a place and to become a part of community together and then make an impact in a way where we're magnifying and multiplying that impact because we're greater and stronger together than we are on our own individually, right? So are you ever going to find the perfect church? Absolutely not. There's no perfect family. And being a part of a church takes com- takes commitment, and it takes working through some of the issues and some of the difficulties that are going to come along, and that we have to give each other permission to be imperfect. We just, can we just settle that now? Can we just all give each other permission to be imperfect, but to know, look, if you're called to be here, if you're called to be here, I want you to drive your roots down deep. If you're having an issue, Please come to me. We will figure it out. You know what I found? Love never fails. Never, never, never. And when we work through things, I mean, I've said, look, I told a lady that I thought she was this girl's grandma and she was her mom. And I was like, I've said some of the stupidest things you could ever imagine. I've wanted to just stick my foot in my mouth. I can't even tell you how many times. Yeah, with a smile on my face, I said that. And I wanted to crawl in a hole and die after that. But, you know, I, I mean, I, I've made messes of things that I was the one that messed it up. And then I had to fix it after that. It wasn't like somebody else did anything. I did it. I dug the hole, the, the hole that I tripped in, you know. But this is what I found. And I pray that this is just what it just blankets over all of us and just kind of invades this whole atmosphere. Love never fails. And when we, anything that we're, we do, I don't know, you know, maybe I have the right words. I don't know how this is going to go or whatever. But if I am moving in love, I love this person. I love these people. I am, uh, love is what's motivating me to work through this thing. If I will move with love, no matter what happens, God will cover that thing. Love will never fail. You will always prevail. It will always win out in the end, even through some of the rockiest and most difficult of paths. If love is the lead dog, we will always come through successfully on the other side. I've found that to be true time and again. I'm going in. I don't really know. God, you haven't spoke the exact words to me yet. I don't really know how to handle this, but I've got to deal with it. But man, I'm just going to go in love. I'm going to love them. I'm going to love people. And if I'll operate with that, love will never fail. And we will continue to work through things and we will grow stronger as a result of it. Amen? Amen. We're family, guys. We're family. And we're all a part of the church. You know, there's just one church, right? We're all part of that. And the way things have happened in the world and different denominations and all this stuff, it, it, it is a little discombobulated and stuff. But in the at the end of the day, we are all trying to build one kingdom, one, one God, one Jesus, one heaven. And we are all trying to expand that kingdom. And so, yes, we are part of this church. We are a family. We are a close family. But other churches that love Jesus, they're our family too, right? And they're, we're all a part of the body. They may be called to do a different kind of work than what we're called to do. And we celebrate each other's uniquenesses and each other's gifts and each other's strengths. Some people are going to be great at certain things and we're going to be great at other things. And that is okay. I celebrate that. 
right? We are a body, we are a family, and we've got to stay strong together. And as we do, our lives, the purpose that God has created us for, the vision he has for each of our lives, I promise you, as you become more connected to the community, to the body, you will begin to see your strengths, your gifts, and your purposes begin to swell out and blossom and flourish in a way like they never could if you were an island out to yourself. Amen. Stand to your feet with me today. We are officially done with Mythbusters. Oh, wait. No, wait. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Yeah, we are officially done. And I just kind of close this whole thing out by saying this. Oh. Find the perfect church. Debunked, yeah. All right. So we debunked, what, 12 myths, right? There's more, but those are the main ones, right? So close out with this. I, guys, we have to be the authentic church. And the authentic church is people. And God knows that we're not perfect people. So we don't have to be perfect people. We have to be a people who love Jesus and seek everything that he has for us and that he lays out for us in his word. And the Bible says that as we move forward, it says we work out our salvation. Work out. It's a process. It's a, it's, a, it's a thing we do over time. It's progressive, right? It says as we do that, that we are transformed more and more into his likeness or into his image, meaning the Holy Spirit. Guys, this is crazy. This is awesome, supernatural stuff here. Holy Spirit that lives in you, he is, as you're submitted to the will of God, seeking him out, he is transforming and changing you from the inside out. What is he transforming and changing you to? It's very simple. He's changing you to look like Jesus in the character qualities and, and the heart and all of the attributes of our Jesus whom we love. You say, people say, I want to be like him. I want to be like him. I want to be like Jesus, right? And, it's, and we've got the Holy Spirit in us that's transforming and changing us from the inside out as we're under the divine surgeon's operating table, allowing ourselves to be worked on that way. He's changing us from the inside out, and we're looking more and more like Jesus and his heart and his ways each and every day. And as we're becoming more like Jesus, we are representing the authentic church. We are representing the church that Jesus died to establish and gave her his power and said, go and preach my name to all of the nations. He's, he has a mission for us to build his kingdom. There's a lost, a hurting, and dying world out there. People are suffering because evil is having a heyday. And we carry with us the solution, the hope, the great hope of the life that is here and the life that it is to come. Amen. And I believe that as we can reflect Jesus to the world, it really comes down to that. The people will say, dude, this is, I know what I've thought. I know what I've been told. But this just, this, you, your life, who you are, what you're showing me, it just conflicts with what I've, what I've thought. I can't hold on to this old improper view anymore because I see something now that's just, just challenging me. It's just breaking that thing down. These myths that I had about church, I got to revisit this now. I got to rethink this now because what I'm seeing in you and your life, it doesn't look like this. It doesn't look like what I've known. 
And it breaks down the barriers. It breaks down the walls that people have put up. And it opens the door for Jesus to come in. Amen.